Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Dewey Burke, John Siegley. John's going to let me be the host this one time. Good <laughs> stuff from you guys after the Duke win, uh, Carolina's Duke win on Thursday night. And Dewey, I'll start with you first. I mean, you play Duke on Thursday. You play probably your best game of the year in total, especially on the defensive end, I thought. Then you go to Raleigh and play a team that's shown they can beat anybody and basically go into that Calderon, have a second half uh, for the ages. Luke May, I believe he had 26 minutes, twenty-six points in the first 15 minutes of the second half and pull out a win there. I said it off the air, do it, I'll say it again. Not a bad couple of days for North Carolina basketball. No, it's been a great week to be a Tar Heel. I agree with that. I was proud of our guys. I really was because I think there's no way not to have just a little hangover after that Duke win and for the turnaround to be so quick. I thought at times we struggled defensively and it felt like, especially in the second half, we'd be up three, up five, get it to seven, back to three. We could never get it to nine, 10, 11 and put them away. They just kept coming at us and we didn't get a lot of stops in the second half, but uh, obviously they didn't either. But with a road win, you just take it. And I thought we made the plays we needed to make. And with the turnaround and playing so quickly after that unbelievably emotional game on Thursday, I really, truly was proud of our guys. I just thought if we could find some way, somehow to win, no matter how it happened, that we would obviously all take it. And Luke carried us. Kenny made the big, big, big shot. And we made enough plays to win. Just anytime you can win on the road, especially over there in an environment where they truly hate us, we take it. John, watching Luke May there at the start of the second half, and I think he scored his last basket of the game with roughly five minutes left. I don't think I've seen, and this question will be for both of you guys, I don't think I've seen a North Carolina player take over a game like that, like he did, because he was not very good in the first half. and. Uh, you, know, you read the message boards, and I was not watching the game live, but I was trying to watch ESPN's game cast and, and look at the inside Carolina message boards, and you would have thought Luke May had two left feet, two left hands reading those things. And then he comes out and starts the second half just on a tear, and, and he did it in every conceivable way, John. Uh, have you seen that before from any North Carolina player and how much does Luke May continue to impress? I I've never seen it before and I you know the inside Carolina team has been putting out a lot of stats lately. I know Greg Barnes and Sherell have pointed out that Luke May is doing things this season that not even Tyler Hansborough did. I think the number of Tar Heel players that have had multiple 30-point games and 15-rebound games is 4. I don't remember the all the names off the top of my head, but you're talking like Lenny Rosenbluth was one of them, and now Luke May is part of that group. And it just astounds me that Carolina fans continue to get on his case when he has a bad half or a bad game, as if Luke has not been just exemplary the entire season. We talked about it um, on this on the podcast, I forget exactly when, but you know, Sherelle's made the point that you basically expect 
Luke made to have 20 points and 10 plus rebounds at this point. And it's a story that Carolina just has never seen. And you just can't put a real value on the importance of what he's been providing. When he was draining threes from beyond the NBA range against NC State, that just gave such a huge uplift for the entire team. Joel Berry, I think, is still probably the heart and soul of this team just because of what he's done throughout his entire career. But without Luke May being there, the Tar Heels are just an entirely different team. And I I think that this year, even though Joel may be the heart, Luke May would be my MVP. And there's really no signs that he's going to slow down either. Dewey, the list of those guys with multiple 30 and 15 games in the same season, Billy Cunningham, Lenny Rosenbluth, Mitch Kupchak, and now Luke May. I mean, we talked about him in the preseason, and I can't remember if it was Ross or Greg that said he might average a double-double, and the rest of us said, no, you know, it's too much to expect from the guy. And he continues to do it. He has a bad game here and there. Everybody does. But he continues to do it mostly night in, night out. It just proves, if you ever need proof, you should know it already, but it proves that you don't have to be the biggest, strongest, fastest athlete to dominate at times. And May certainly did in the first 15 of that second half yesterday. He was unbelievable. And the the company that he's with, uh, the names you mentioned, that's astounding, is it not? And uh, I remember our pregame podcast, and I remember you and I discussing, and I remember saying, this guy is going to play 35 minutes for the next 70 games of his career. Book it. And now I had the unfair advantage of knowing that the staff was so high on him that he was going to start and play as many minutes as he was going to play for his junior and senior year. But I remember after we posted it and people on the message board saying, if Luke May is playing 35 minutes for us, for the next two years, we're just not going to be very good. And uh, I remember laughing at that because there's a reason why on our group text, Tyler Hansborough is texting, text, excuse me, texting us and saying, you know, Luke May was killing NBA guys today in pickup this summer. And there's a reason why other guys are saying he might've been the best player on the floor. And a bunch of our NBA guys were back. And this is in the summertime. And so when you're hearing stuff like that, you think to yourself, there's something to this. Now, even then, I don't know that anybody thought he could give you 30 and 15 in an ACC game on the road. I mean, it's, we're talking about elite company. Uh, as good of a career as Bryce Johnson had, he did it once, I believe, that game at Florida State. So it's hard to say that it's not astounding. And But the thing is, and the thing that I love about how basketball has changed a little bit in the last four or five years at the NBA level, and it's it's made its way to college, is that the skill level, skill level of big guys has increased an incredible amount. To me, not gone are the days that you could be a lumbering big guy without skill and get meaningful minutes. I love the fact now that the idea of a stretch four is commonplace. Guys of serious size are stepping out and shooting threes. You see it in the NBA. The Warriors have a lot to do with it. And I think Luke May is a is a great example of that, of maybe 10 years ago at 6'8", as a big guy, he's playing mid-major back to the basket somewhere. But because of the advent of a three-point shot and the expectation that your bigs can now put the ball on the floor, can catch and shoot, can 
being raw, be involved in pick and rolls, not to roll to the basket, but pop and catch and shoot a three. All those things that have evolved makes Luke May in some ways the perfect modern day stretch for big guy. And you have to give credit to a coach and a coaching staff that people say, oh, they're so stubborn, they're stuck in their ways, that saw that in him, even though he's traditionally undersized for what we usually have, uh, and then to let him be himself, right? I mean, think about this. That, that play that happened last night or yesterday, when we threw the ball into Luke from out of bounds underneath, he caught it at about 30 feet, took two dribbles and shot a pull-up three over a hand and drilled it. Your starting four man did that. And it's just, just to think about that of when I played, that would have never happened. Not even like Jawad or Marvin would have taken that shot. And those are guys that could really shoot it. So I think it's a credit to Coach Williams to, and the staff to let Luke be Luke and understand that what they're seeing in practice and what they're hearing about in pickup is something that can translate to the games, that this guy can score almost any way mid-range floater. I mean, he hit a floater in the Duke game the other night. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, God, that was a tough shot. That would have been a tough shot for, for Joel Berry, for Wayne Ellington, you know, and, and our six, eight, four man hit a, a, a running one hander over a seven footer. It just, he continues to amaze me at, at how skilled he is, not just for his size, just how skilled he is, period. And he gets those rebounds and breaks out and goes the length of the floor. That's your four man. The same guy that hit a two dribble pull up three in the game at state. The same guy who caught the ball on a cut to the basket and dunked it. The same guy who did a little Hakeem Olajuwon dream shake under the basket yesterday. It just, what do you say? I mean, it's, it's, it, is it normal now? Is it, this is what we expect? How good is this kid going to be next year after another summer of playing against pros? I mean, it just, the guy's going to be a first team all ACC player he might get votes for ACC Player of the Year. We keep playing this well. I mean, think about that. Somebody in the press might say, Bagley's the best player in this conference, but man, Luke May, I might have to vote for him. Think about that for a second. It is incredible. It shows uh, how much you can work hard, but also play with confidence. I mean, ever since the shot last year, he has just played off the charts confidence. And you're right. He does things that none of us, none of nobody, expected um to see except maybe his coaching staff and he you're right that three that deep three was just like uh, i saw somebody tweeted it was like well he's just playing video game now at this point yeah. and this and this luke may it's fascinating to watch he had the 33 he had the 17 uh john looking at the box score and this is something we've talked about a couple times over the last few weeks, when Carolina wins, they have balance. And they had more than two scores against Duke and won that game. But looking at the box score, there you got five and double figures. Joe Barry continues to be Joe Barry. But Pinson, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams all supported Luke May's performance. And that's what this Carolina team needs, especially in this three-game stretch. Uh, your take on that part of it, I mean – Two guys are not going to beat a decent college basketball team, but all five playing well, Carolina's as good as anybody in the country. Yeah, and Dewey brought that up after the Duke game, where this Carolina team, if they get contributions from multiple players, they are a very dangerous team. And I think what was key is Theo, you mentioned him, he scored 11 points, but off of only four shots. 
and he hit three free throws. That's the type of performance that the Heels are going to need from Theo Pinson in order to make a deep run come March. Kenny Williams, the same thing, four for eight from the field, two of three from the three-point line, including that crucial sh- that crucial shot that Dewey mentioned earlier on in this podcast. And when you get those balanced scoring, it just makes teams very, very worn out because when Carolina, the starters, are just running you up and down the court and you're having to guard these guys and they're just hitting shots regardless of what you're doing, then the bench comes on. And the bench scoring was also very good against NC State. Manley with five points, Brooks with two, Brandon Robinson chipped in with three, and then Playtech had a basket as well. So, you know, Roy, Roy Williams' mantra is always, if you're a bench player, don't take, don't be a negative. And I think against NC State, the bench players did a great job of coming in, keeping the level of intensity up, not being intimidated by that PNC Arena crowd, and just giving the starters a few minutes to catch their breath and allow them to just attack the basket over and over again. And I thought that was the the, the biggest thing is, the heels were a little bit wasteful in this game with with the turnovers. You know, I think Roy might have some guys running stairs for some of those errant passes, but the level of intensity never wavered. They drove to the basket constantly. They made tough shots on the inside, and it was just really great to see the heels play with the look in their eyes that, hey, we think we're a better team than you, and we're going to show it. And folks forget that NC State played out of their minds in the Smith Center to win in overtime. And, and a lot of people thought, what's wrong with Carolina? Uh, well, nothing really in that game. State just played ridiculously well. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Dewey, let me ask you about Cam Johnson. And he didn't shoot it particularly well against NC State. 5 for 12, but 0 for 5 from three-point range. And we talked about this a lot with Bryce Johnson and other guys over the years that if you're not hitting your go-to shots, you at least need to offer something else. And Johnson had 13 points, had a couple nice takes to the basket. I mean, he's really developed and gotten more aggressive in the last couple of weeks and is paying off. I think that's right. I, I have a couple of thoughts on Cam. One, to me, it feels like, and I do it myself, that we forget that he was out for a month or, or five weeks and how critical that was maybe number one to his conditioning, just the fact that he wasn't practicing and playing in games the way that we play at the pace that we play is really tough to catch up on. And number two, even though he's an experienced guy, that doesn't mean that he didn't need time to adjust and find his place. And I don't know this factually. I just, my sense is that after he got back in the flow of things, it seems like there was a conversation that was had with him, whether it was coach, whether it was one of the other other guys or all of them. And they just said, Kim, for us to be as good as we can be, we need you to stop being so conservative on the offensive end and be more aggressive and look to score. Because if we were to go back and watch some of his earlier games, I think there was some hesitation on some catch and shoot opportunities when he was maybe slightly covered or he could have got the shot off, but, oh, I, I'm not wide open, so I'm just going to move the ball. And now he's just pulling it. And I know he didn't shoot well against State, but I think there's a decidedly different level of aggressiveness from him on the offensive end. And that's getting to the basket and just hunting his shot. And for me, the guy can't shoot it enough. I mean, I was at shoot it around before the Duke game, 
watching him just rip the net consecutive shots over and over and over. So for me, he's a shooter and he, he can't shoot it enough. I really feel that way. So I think he understands that now. I think he knows he has the green light. He can be more aggressive and he's getting comfortable. So he's going to be a major factor for us this last month, month and a half of the season. I think uh, he's still getting his wind to be honest and, and, and seeing it in person and watching that he had to come out of that Duke game a, a number of times in the second half to me is still a conditioning thing. He's still getting there. Whereas you look at guys like Kenny and Joel and, and Luke, they can play all day. They still need the rest, but they, they are able to just run, 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 run and play our way, but they've been doing it for years. He's been doing it for months with a month off. So keep that in mind as you watch Cam. He's still getting in Carolina condition. But I think mentally he is where we want him to be from an aggressiveness point of view and just hunting his shot. Again, that guy cannot shoot it enough for me. And seeing that, um, you know, you're right, Dewey. I think somebody did tell him, you got you to gotta get with it, get more aggressive. and. John, how many times watching North Carolina basketball have you seen guys that, or a team that has four you know, pretty much pure shooters? I mean, Luke May, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, Joel Berry, they all can really shoot it. It opens it up. It did not allow uh, NC State to really play year seven as much as they would or allow him to be as effective as he might be. Uh, that they were able to spread the floor really showed against North Carolina State, really showed against Duke with their bigs. Um, it's become an effective way for North Carolina to play. It, it really is. And I think Carolina was very happy to see Yurt Seven take some jumpers early on in that game and even into the second half rather than try to use his height advantage over the Carolina defender and hit that little hook shot that he used in the game in Chapel Hill. And if you're looking at the rebounding statistics for this game, again, I mean, NC State was out-rebounded by a pretty significant margin. I'm looking at it right now, and it looks like 41 to 24. And that's with Carolina playing that small ball lineup. And Dewey's talked about this a lot, that it just comes down to hustle and giving that energy and really the want to. And when you're playing the small ball lineup, it's very tempting to think that Carolina is going to be giving up those rebounds, but the guys are just crashing the boards and they're really doing an excellent job. Now, Luke May with 17 rebounds led, led, the, re- led the way, but it was a really team contribution that I thought, and Carolina just did not let themselves get bullied on the inside. They held their, their grounds. They made guys take tough shots. And I think you're exactly right, Tommy. They really tried to get your seven to play on that outside, fall in love with the little fadeaway jumper, and then clean up the miss. Um, and talking about plays, though, I actually had a question for Dewey. The, the play that probably sticks in most Carolina fans' minds from that state game was the three that Kenny Williams hit. Dewey, was that the same play that Carolina ran late in the Duke game that also resulted in an open three uh, that was made by Cam Johnson, I believe. Was that out of the same type of offensive set? Is it bad that I say I don't remember? I'm um, just being honest. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. <clears throat> excuse me. I can't remember if that shot ultimately came from a box set, but it it wasn't directly from the set that he got that look. 
as I'm trying to think, I think they may have <clears throat> run box to start that possession. And then uh, not that the play broke down, but they didn't get an immediate look out of it. And then it just flowed right into our regular motion offense. Um, but I would say all credit to him just because the, the fundamentals and the footwork of a shot fake one dribble three pointer, that's a difficult shot to make. It's a lot different than just a regular catch and shoot where you get yourself on balance to get your feet set to have the discipline in such a critical point of the game to uh, what I would say is slow yourself down enough to take a shot fake that got the defender up in the air, be under control for your one dribble and remain behind the line. And then just drill that shot with, with confidence was, was some kind of play for him. And obviously he's hit big shots down the stretch for us a number of times this year, but that was as big as any, because uh, like we said earlier, it just felt like we couldn't quite get the lead big enough that it felt comfortable. We would be up five, then up two, then up seven, then up four. And that shot was the one just because of where the clock was that, that really made me feel like no question we had that game. And like I said, credit to him fundamentally for having the poise to slow himself down, to do everything right, to give himself the chance to make that shot. And, and that's the toughness that Roy Williams speaks of. We, we think of toughness as, battling underneath and you know going toe-to-toe with other big men or whatever but coach Williams always says tough enough to take and make big shots he certainly did that Cam uh, excuse me Kenny Williams uh, Cam Johnson against Duke Kenny Williams in Raleigh do we as we trend towards the end of this podcast let's talk a little bit about this three games in five days that certainly helps that two are at home one sandwiched in the middle is just down the road in Raleigh but it's not something that's happened. I think Carolina is the only team this year in the ACC that has to do it, um, save for the ACC tournament. But speak to uh, the fatigue issues and also having to go Duke, NC State, and now back home to Notre Dame, uh, the mental side of it. I mean, North Carolina's had this stretch. Not many people thought they would go 3-0, and and yet here we are. They're set up to go 3-0. and if they can handle the Irish in the Smith Center on Monday night. But your take on the scheduling and the effect on the team it has to get these tough wins in the middle of this grind. Yeah, it almost seems like a glitch at the ACC office that this happened. It's just, it's very odd to me. But a couple thoughts. One, I think the the Thursday-Saturday part of it probably felt fine, other than the fact of the the level that the Duke game was at. But you know, a lot of our guys have played in the tournament a couple times. So the Thursday, Saturday piece of it, I don't think felt that crazy, maybe to the young, young guys, but they didn't play that many minutes. So that's NCAA tournament like, right. And, and by the end of our season anyway, not now typically, but by March, our practices are 45 minutes to an hour. And you heard coach Williams say that they were on the court for an hour and three minutes yesterday and uh and did just really light work and really just watch video well that's what it's like in the tournament so that part of it i think was fine the fact though that now we have to do that again today be on the court for less than an hour and then go play again that to me is the different part of it and uh it wouldn't surprise me if guys feel some tired legs tomorrow in that game but i think clearly we're better i'm glad we're at home and we should be able to take care of business the only other thing i'll say is don't forget that these are 18 to 21 year old kids and given the option of playing three games in five days or playing one game and having four practices, this is what they would choose. So remember that it's still 
just kids that love to play and they get to play another game as opposed to practicing against each other. So I think they'll be fine. Their adrenaline will be up. Their legs will feel it probably in that second half. But as far as mentally, I'm not worried about them really being burned out or anything like that. I think we're a confident basketball team right now. And and again, like I keep saying, these are kids that love to play. So it's another game where you get to put the jersey on. They'll they'll be just fine. John, to rep show your thoughts on this stretch, the Heels have gone from what was it, six and five in the ACC or five and five in the ACC and now are sitting pretty trying to get that double by. Notre Dame's just another step in the process. Well, I think going into this three game stretch, if you had told Heels fans that Carolina would start off two and zero. I don't know how many would have believed you in the first place, but I think it would have been universal that everyone would have just considered that to be a huge win for the season as a whole. And I think when this three-game stretch started, a lot of people probably viewed that Notre Dame game as, you know, kind of not necessarily a give-me, but probably the game that the Heels should win. However, I think Notre Dame may have thrown a little bit of wrench into those plans after they just beat the snot out of Florida State 84-69. And Notre Dame is getting contributions from a lot of guys on their team. Uh, Matt Farrell was actually 6 of 10 from the three-point line all by himself, finished that game with 28 points. Fluger and Gibbs both chipped in with 19 points. So Notre Dame is, you know, they're going to be remembering how the heels came into South Bend and escaped with the win up there. So I think Carolina is going to be facing a very focused Notre Dame team that's going to be out for revenge. I think that the team just needs to really focus on getting mentally prepared. Like Dewey said, you know, these are young guys, so there will be some physical exhaustion that's just kind of given. And I think it's a good point as well that you said, Tommy, that two of these three games are at home. But when you are coming off of that emotional high from Duke, then you go into Raleigh and you beat a NC State team that was very determined. I think it's going to be a challenge for them to not overlook Notre Dame and really give them the focus that they deserve and put away a team that Carolina is still going to be favored, but they could absolutely lose this one. And they just need to make sure that that does not happen. Good stuff, guys. Carolina and Notre Dame, 7 o'clock in the Smith Center on Monday night. Uh, doing John I know we'll talk plenty more times as the season continues to wind down hard to believe that we're trending towards March already Uh, but we'll be here covering it John Dewey thanks thanks Tommy thanks Tommy thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com the independent voice of UNC sports your home for Tar Heel football basketball and recruiting